As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Today's episode of The Audible is brought to you by Trader Joe's, where the crew is on your team. Grab your shopping cart, make a quick snap, and move out of the pocket. Run an option to the demo station. Make an end around to the snacks, then find an eligible receiver to take you to the end zone. Learn more at TraderJoes.com and at Trader Joe's on Instagram. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible. I am Bruce Feldman, joined as always by Stuart Mandel. Uh, Stu, this time... I am on the East Coast as we tape this late Sunday night slash early Monday morning. I'm in New York City for the College Football Hall of Fame event. You are back in home base in the Bay Area of Northern California. So we finally got the results of the playoff committee's top rankings. And I got to admit, Stu, it's not what I expected them to be. Yeah, you wonder, looking back now, did we all just kind of talk ourselves into making this more complicated than it is? Because... A lot of people, myself, yourself, had convinced ourselves that they were going to elevate Ohio State. If Ohio State beat Wisconsin, they would have more good wins. And we would just kind of casually forget that, oh, by the way, they did lose two games, and one of them was by 31 points. So, To an unranked team. To an unranked team. I filed my column late Saturday night why I thought, and I could go either way, but why I thought they would take Ohio State. And right around that time, maybe right after I filed it, I got a text from our friend Andy Staples who said, because at this point, everybody's freaking out on Twitter. He said, I kind of think Alabama's going to get in fairly easily tomorrow, but it is fun watching all these people tie themselves in knots. And I thought, oh, maybe he's right. <laughs> Can I have a do-over? You know, I, so Andy, I spent some, uh, I had a few drinks with tonight as well as dinner. And part of his rationale, without putting too many words in his mouth, was the, the idea of, well, Ohio State, if they played Clemson, you know, it would, it would look just like last year. They don't, you know, they would get blown out. And I said, well, you know what, I, I don't think it's the playoff committee should be looking as a criteria high up is what the matchup is going to look like. To me, and we've heard a lot about how, much, how important it is for uh, conference championships and who you beat. And I feel like you've told me a lot of, you know, who you beat. So it's almost been drilled down. Because remember back when it was 
when we were in the era of Jameis at Florida State, you know, I was beholden to the year after they won the title because they had they were still undefeated, but they were kind of looking really shaky when they were doing it. And I think, look, you were proved to be right because they kind of imploded late in the year. I proved to be wrong. But in the case of this, you know, the way I looked at it was, you know, I thought Alabama should be five. And, and my rationale was, you know, if you look at what Ohio State had, yeah, they have a horrible loss. And they also lost, you know, handily at home to Oklahoma. And the horrible loss, as we said, was that that 30 plus point loss on ranked Iowa. But they had beaten a Wisconsin team that's in the top five. They smashed a good Michigan State team that was it's in the top 15. And they also beat Penn State, which is another top top 10 win. So when you put those out, all three of those to me are better than the LSU win that Alabama has, and they don't have the conference championship. Having said all that, you know, my thing is if you're Ohio State, I think it's hard for you to you don't have anybody else to blame but yourself because you didn't you didn't do take care of business and beat uh, an unranked Iowa team. You already had your one uh, mulligan when you got thumped by Oklahoma. The question I want to ask you, though, is so we both watched the, the game Saturday night in Indianapolis. If it's 31 to 10 Ohio State, as opposed to comes down to the wire and they barely escape against Wisconsin, if it's 31 to 10 or 38 to 17, do you think we'd still have the same result? It's a good question. And one I was thinking of as that game was playing out, you wouldn't think that you would need style points against the number four team in the country, which Wisconsin was at the time. You know, you would think beating 12-0, and 0, if you beat them by one point, that should be enough to make a huge statement. But because there was a lot of skepticism towards Wisconsin going in, it did feel like Ohio State needed to put on a show. And at first it looked like they might. They had some, I believe, four plays of 50 or more yards in that game. Yeah, but, like three in the first half, I think. Right, but they also had turnovers. They had two JT Barrett interceptions, and it turned into this, you know, having to make a stand at the end. And I thought to myself uh, towards the end of it, you know, this game has become kind of like a microcosm of Ohio State's whole season, where they have these tremendous highs and these then tremendous lows. I could see the committee saying, you know what, we just can't count on them. You just don't know which version of them they're going to show up. Yeah, Alabama lost their last game, but for the most part, you know what you're going to get with them from week to week. And the comments from not just Kirby Hoke up, from Bill Hancock, who doesn't have a vote but is in the room, made it seem like that this actually wasn't all that hard a decision for them, that teams didn't consider them to be all that close. And that's fine. You know, you could go either way. I get it. Why did they say the other day that it was so close between teams five through eight and then come around on Sunday and say, yeah, it wasn't really all that close? Yeah, I, you know what? I think we get into an area with the with the playoff committee, and this happened last year with Jeff Long, and it seems like it's happening with Kirby Hocutt, where because this thing is so vague and so nebulous that they'll throw out little kernels, which maybe they personally subscribe to, maybe they don't. Maybe it's something that comes up in the room and they feel like they have to reflect it. I don't really know. I, I mean, I think so much of the presentation – from that show, you know, that ESPN usually has on Tuesday nights, you know, we're trying to get a read on what they, what we think they value. And the reality is I'm not sure there is anything to get a read on because it just seems like it changes so much. And, and it obviously it changes the makeup of the room year to year and the people who are in there. But, you know, ultimately I think they looked and said, who do we think 
who do we think are the four best teams? Now, I'm in New York at the College Football Induction Ceremonies, and I run into a couple of college head coaches, and one of them asked, you know, you know, was a, had voted in the, in the uh, coaches poll before and just said, I think you have to take into account what has already happened on the field a lot more and give it to give it more weight. This whole, well, I think this team would beat this if they played again. And this coach said to me, that's just a cop out because if you don't put value on the games, what's the point of playing the games? Well, and I think that's a valid argument. The thing is, like you said, I wanted to circle back to something you said that I don't think gets enough attention. There's a lot of changes from year to year in that committee. There's there, there's a lot. Most of the people who are on it at the beginning have circle, uh, cycled off at this point, other than Tyron Willingham, who never seems to leave that room. <laughs> and uh, Jeff Long is still on it, even though he's not an active AD anymore. The committee chairman has changed. And so, you know, I remember the first couple years, it felt like you heard about top 25 wins every week. Now you don't hear about that so much anymore. And maybe that's why. How much why. do you hear about game control? Do you hear about that? Yeah, well, that, that whole thing just... That was uh, that was that, when they write the book about the playoff. There'll be a whole chapter about game control and how that spun into a whole story. The other one is, I just remember that first year when it, when we was TCU and Baylor, and they still hadn't, you know, they hadn't gone, they hadn't flipped order yet, and he would just keep saying, "Well, Jeff Long, I'm talking about. Just remember, when we get to the end of the season, that's when conference championships come into play." You know, we haven't been able to, to incorporate that yet. When it gets to the end of the season, conference championships come into play, and that is a huge part of our criteria. And now I feel like they're just, that two years in a row, they've just said, well, yeah, conference championships is something uh, on our piece of paper that we hand out, but, you know, we don't have to really look at that if we don't want to. And so two years yep. in a row with Penn State, Ohio State, everybody's thought, well, they're the conference champions, so they'll probably get the benefit of the doubt. And it turned out, no, it didn't really matter. We'll get back to the podcast in just a second, but first of all, Bruce, you're on this long trip to New York right now. Did you pack yourself some Mack Weldon clothing? In fact, I did, Stu. I have a bunch of Mack Weldon underwear, and I look forward to putting it on every day just because it's soft, it's comfortable. Nothing is more annoying than sitting on an, in an airplane seat just not feeling comfortable for three hours. It breathes. It's very soft. Can't beat it. I know you're a fan, too. Well, sure, and that's because Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. And Bruce, they've got a great deal for our listeners. If you go to MacWeldon.com and use promo code AUDIBLE, you get 20% off. Who doesn't like 20% off? Oh, that's a great deal, Stu. I mean, as we, we speak from experience... This is one of the best deals we've had. Go get up on this. You will not regret it. It's MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using promo code AUDIBLE. They want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you, no questions asked. That's MacWeldon.com, 20% off using promo code AUDIBLE. You know what this reminds me a little of? So as we've talked about a bunch of times on the podcast, we both have young kids, and there are times when I'm like just putting my kids to bed and sometimes I'll lay on the floor next to them and my daughter is not ready to go to sleep and she's complaining and she wants mommy to come upstairs for a little bit. And I, I just kind of convince her if she stays quiet for 10 minutes or five minutes that, 
you know, I'll get mommy or I'll get whatever's in. And eventually, you know, she'll fall asleep. And then, so the next morning it's whatever, 6am and I'm taking her downstairs. And this happened like a couple of weeks ago. She looked at me, she goes, Hey, you didn't do such and such. And I was in my head, I was like, Oh shit, she remembered that, you know, whatever. And it's like, that's a little bit like how I feel like the playoff committee talks to talks to the consumers and the rest of the media is, Hey, we're going to tell you this. You may not remember it, but we're going to tell you this for now. <laughs> Let's let you go to sleep. We're going to appease you. And then when you wake up, it's going to be a new day. And this is the way it's going to be. Look, at That's- the end of the day, the committee is the chairman. And he's this one, one out of 13 who speaks for the whole committee. It might not even necessarily be how he personally feels. He's just got to sum up what happened in the room. For all we know, they got in there and the coaches in the room were, oh, you know, you can't, you can't trust JT Barrett or... Uh, you know, that Alabama defense is just, you know, they were injured. They were injured against Auburn. They're going to be back to full strength. But he can't necessarily share all of that. So, you know, it's frustrating. I think people want more objectivity and less subjectivity. But at the end of the day, somebody's got to pick. Like, I don't, I've yet to see a system. And this is the time of year when everybody has their sixth team and their eight team and whatnot. Nobody has yet showed me a way that you can narrow down 130 teams to whatever, four, six, eight, without somebody, a pollster, committee, somebody has to make a decision. And, uh, and, and that's what it's going to be. Does this, the way this played out, make you, because I think we've both been on kind of the same page before that we're fine with four, and we don't necessarily see the need for eight. Did this way this season play out change it for you at all? Uh, it makes me think because the Big Ten champion got left out, and I think that the two most influential, powerful people who could leverage things would be the SEC commissioner and the Big Ten commissioner. And so if it comes at the expense of the Big Ten, uh, I'm curious how Jim Delaney would respond to this and if he will push for eight. In one sense, I feel like I've gotten kind of away from shore, meaning in my head, you know, I think college football is the greatest regular season and because the games count and they all they all matter. And here I was making, trying to make a rational argument for Ohio State, which not only lost once handily, but lost twice. And once you start getting to eight, you know, then you're going to have even flimsier arguments to make. And I, I, part of me likes the idea of having, well, you should have your conference champions in, but the, the number doesn't work because it's five compared to four spots. Also, I do like the idea of having, a, a group of five kind of Cinderella in there. I mean, do I think UCF would beat any one of those four teams? No, probably not. But I wouldn't mind. I would be curious to see how, you know, would they really get blown out with this? To me, what they are, you know, remember when NIU played FSU, you know, whatever, five years ago? Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you get those matchups in the bowl game, whether it's like Utah back when they were in the Mountain West and they really took it to Alabama you know, this conversation came up tonight with some football coaches as well is, well, it's a bowl game. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who are checked out for a bowl game, Well, you can't be, you know, if you're checked out for a playoff game, that's on you. And so I'd like to see that matchup, but I just don't know. Cause you're also stretching the schedule even further. And we're talking about player safety issues because the schedule is getting longer and longer. Logistically, it's hard to do. I, I love the 14 playoff. It's better than the BCS. I think the 18 playoff would be great, but it would come at the expense of the the merits of the season because now you're talking about potentially we have a two loss team, we might have a three loss team in there. 
Yeah, I mean, who if you had eight teams, who would have actually gotten eliminated on Saturday? Miami, I suppose. Mm-hmm. TC wasn't really in it to begin with. Anyway, I think this would have been the perfect year for a three-team playoff. You know, we nobody really likes Ohio State or Alabama. So why do we have to have four? We'll just have three. We'll figure out a way for them to play each other. Or we could do a five-team playoff, and then the Ohio State and Alabama could play each other to get into the main draw. I, I like that little, you know, whatever you call it, and logistically they could never do it, where you'd say, hey, this is the way it sets up. We're going to have... You know how, like, in, in NFL scheduling, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but they have, like, the flexibility to make a sudden change? I would love that if they had it. You know what? You guys are going to have to have a play-in game. Yeah, I just and, think we should get to every season's different. So just get to the end of the year, and this committee would say, all right, this year we think there's seven teams that could realistically win the national championship. So it's going to be a seven-team playoff this year. And then other years they'll say, you know what? There's only five. We, just, we need five, and maybe some years will only think- be four. Do you think Nick Saban and Do you think Nick Saban and Urban Meyer would complain that they would have to play an extra game because they'd be at a physical disadvantage to let's say they'd have to play in to then then face Clemson? I don't know, but you but I just you you saying that made me just remember something from last night. Wasn't it crazy to see Nick Saban and Urban Meyer, who are the two kind of I think universally regarded as the most powerful or the most successful coaches in the country? Both like basically calling into Sports Center to lobby. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, to, to see these guys who've won all these national championships have to like resort to, and, and Urban seemed particularly uncomfortable with it, to resort to having to lobby for their team. It's just, I mean, Urban kept on talking about we beat two top four teams, and then I was thinking about it. But you, you're going to use the you're going to use the the prism. We beat that there were top four when we beat them. And I was like, well, be careful, Urban, because if you do that, then Alabama gets to claim that Florida State when they were top three when they <laughs> beat them. So now all the argument against them is they haven't beaten anybody of note. Well, now they have. You reminded and, me of the uh, 2008 BCS Texas-Oklahoma thing that Texas kept, oh, it's 45-35. And then Bob Stoops, it would be his turn to lobby. He'd say, well, you can't, if you're going to do play head-to-head, well, then we beat Texas Tech head-to-head. So what does that mean? What, how does it leave you feeling in, in just, though, about the playoff itself? You know, if you were to look ahead to the matchups, Clemson-Alabama, again, and Georgia-Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl, do these excite you more or less or the same as previous seasons? Maybe more, because there isn't, you know, look, I felt like anybody of those four could beat anybody. It's not... Those are, those are real toss-ups to me. And There's Vegas no favorite. Is going to feel otherwise. Yeah, whereas, you know, last year Alabama felt way superior to Washington to me. Right. You know, I would not have picked Ohio State to get smashed like they did by Clemson. But, they, you know, those matchups didn't feel as lopsided. I love the prospect of Baker Mayfield against Roquan Smith or Baker Mayfield potentially against the Clemson D-line. You know, I, I think that's, you know, you have the most exciting player against some really talented defenses. You know, I, I think this is a fun four, you know, and I can't wait to see how it's going to play out. But just, uh, you know, I, I mean, if you're a Buckeye fan, you think this sucks. If you're anybody else, I think you're like, okay, I think these are probably the four most talented teams. Well, I'm really, really looking forward to the Rose Bowl. And part of it is Georgia being new blood, if you will. You know, this is 
this is the opposite of watching Alabama Clemson again, which I don't know. I don't, I'm sure I'll be excited about it when it gets here, but you know, the last two were such classics. You almost want to just let them be and, and not add on a third where it's now it's Clemson, but it's not Deshaun Watson Clemson and it's Alabama, but they're perceived as not being quite as good as the past two Alabama teams. Uh, but Oklahoma, Georgia is like you said, a power versus power, uh, best offense, you know, certainly in this playoff field against a Georgia defense. I don't think, I, I don't want to say they snuck up on people, but I think after that first Auburn game, if you were somebody who hadn't seen a lot of Georgia, you would say, Oh, they were, they were really overrated. But really that was the only game all season that their defense wasn't just bad. But I mean, that was the only game all season. They weren't dominant. They were dominant mm-hmm. defense and they were certainly on Saturday night. And, uh, you love those matchups where it's the, the soon-to-be Heisman winner against a dominant defense. Can I ask you just, the, you know, there's going to be plenty of time to talk about these matchups, and there's plenty of time to talk about the other bowls, but are there one or two bowl matchups outside of the group, outside of the New Year's Six that you're like, hmm, I'm really excited about, I'm looking forward to this game? I don't think that as a whole – there's a lot of those in the because one reason being I think all of the near six matchups are good so there's no there's no clunkers in there so you know if I say what are the six best games it's those six but one that jumps out at me is uh, Stanford TCU in the Alamo Bowl uh, Bryce Love against a very good uh, TCU defense or at least a defense that's been very good against everybody but Oklahoma yeah uh, for me. It is the Camping World Bowl in Orlando, and it's Oklahoma State's offense, which is so explosive against Bud Foster's Virginia Tech defense. That's a good one. I think that's a good back and forth. I, I definitely want to see that. You know, as we kind of looking at some of these matchups, it's just, uh, I don't know. I mean, the thing that jumps out at me is like, I was, you know, you follow who you follow on Twitter, and I'm seeing Shannon Dawson and a couple of guys I know on the Southern Miss staff you know, tweeting out about their bowl game. I'm like, holy cow. Fresno, you know, like Florida State is going to play in Shreveport. That was, uh, I had a really bad bowl projections year this year. That was one of the few I got right going in. So I've kind of gotten used to seeing those teams' names next to each other. One thing I should note, though, is there's a lot of new bowl sponsors this year. Have you ever gone to Walk-Ons in Baton Rouge? I have. Walk-Ons makes a fantastic hamburger well it's now the walk-ons independence bowl i guess walk-ons must have uh, expanded beyond just that well, walk-ons also wants to sponsor this podcast i can i will gush about because uh, you know when i was there for the week of signing day for a couple of days i think i had a burger from walk-ons twice well there you go better burgers i've ever had so uh, now, um, now let me just run a few others by you real quick do you know what overton's is is it a clothing store it sounds like it, but I'm not sure. But anyway, it's the Citrus Bowl presented by Overton. So you don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I was wondering if you did because it's now the uh, Citrus Bowl presented by Overton's. It's now the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. Okay. The Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. In the only reason I know Peter that is because Brett tweeted about it, you know, six months ago or whatever when he came out of his broken silence with Bad Boy. <laughs> You've got the day before that. You've got the DXL Frisco Bowl. DXL. I was going to say that though, that company that would like try to be FedEx, but that's that's DHL, isn't it, or yeah. something? 
DXL is a top brand men's. Oh, interesting. Top brand men's clothing store for XL sizes. Uh-huh. Ah, so I see. They think that uh, Louisiana Tech and SMU fans have a need for XL <laughs> clothes. And then the one that is literally the cherry on top. The Cherubundi Tart Cherry Boca Raton Bowl. I've heard of this company. My brother's in the nutrition business, so I've heard about it for a while. Oh, so that's a nutritious product? It's portrayed to be, yes. Well, Lane Kiffin's FAU Owls are taking on Terry Bowden's Akron Zips in the first ever Cherubundi Tart Cherry Boca Raton Bowl. Now, there's some, there's some, there's some, uh, all, all joking aside, there's some good matchups. Uh, I got one here in my backyard that I believe you're going to be at Arizona versus Purdue. In the Foster yeah. Did you get that right? I don't think you got that right. I don't think Brett got it right either. I did not get there. that right. That was um, I did not everybody right. was sending either San Diego State or Fresno State that way. Well, here's what happened. Uh, here's what really screwed up the bowl projection business this year. There were a couple ripple effects. One was, and I still don't really understand why Washington is in the New Year Six. Like, look at their season and who they beat. And then look at TCUs and tell me why they had to drop TCU like a lead balloon after they lost in the Big 12 title game. So I had TCU staying in the New Year's Six, but apparently Washington had a really good week at home this week, and so they moved up to the Cotton Bowl. And so that had an effect on the Pac-12 and Big 12 Bowls. The other one, though, was if you, like me, had Ohio State going to the playoff, then that left Alabama as the highest-ranked SEC or Big Ten team that went to the Orange Bowl. But when Alabama made the playoff, then that slot became Wisconsin. And now, try to follow me here. This is very complicated. If a Big Ten team is in the Orange Bowl, then the Big Ten loses its spot in the Citrus Bowl. So every Big Ten team moved down a rung, and that's how Purdue became available to the Foster Farms Bowl. If they hadn't been available, then they were going to take a Mountain West team. Wow. Same thing with the Arizona side of it. Everybody moved up a spot from where I projected it because of uh, Washington moving up. So then it was Arizona there instead of uh, Washington State. And there's a lesson in bowl projection. pretty unwieldy. All right. Well, like I said, we can get plenty of time to talk about the other bowls and obviously about the playoff. Let's work backwards. So there was some, some, I don't know, it was huge news. Friday was the strangest college football news day in a long, long time. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that happened. Man, Tennessee story was a dumpster fire that just that caught flames Sunday and just was raging for about about six days straight. And I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know where they go. I don't know what's going to be. We know now. Full Fulmer, uh, Phil Fulmer is taking over the ship. Maybe it feels nine years of vindication from being forced out. He has got taken control. John Curry, the former AD has been forced out in, you know, as we had reported or as I had reported, there was a lot of, a lot of backstabbing and a lot of finger pointing that had been going on between boosters and power brokers there. They got Curry out of there. And remember, Fulmer wanted to be the AD when Curry got the job. Well, now he gets to be the AD and the Tennessee fan base is very, very happy about that. Uh, the story kind of hit a weird crescendo, Maybe I'm not using the crescendo in the right form. On Thursday, when Curry had flown out to L.A. 
and met with Mike Leach, who was in Southern California while doing some recruiting visits, and Curry was doing his own recruiting. They met, as I had reported Thursday night. It went very well, so well that Leach was just a chancellor signature away from becoming the new coach at Tennessee. But uh, Tennessee brass, the new brass, yanked the plug on that. John Curry's out. There's not going to be any Mike Leach in uh, in Knoxville. And we'll see what Phil Fulmer decides to do and who he brings in. But the fan base feels like, hey, we got one of our own back in control. And, and they're happy about that. Are you happy about that, Stu? I'm just blown away by the whole thing. John Curry had a chance. I, I understand. Like, basically, they had all lost faith in him after the Shiano thing. And they wanted to fire him. But in the meantime, he had gone out and basically recruited them a really, really good coach in Mike Leach. Like this would be the kind of hire that would get people excited about Tennessee football. And you not only sabotage that by firing the AD, but you bring in a guy in Fulmer who I guess just kind of maneuvered his way into the job. And why would a coach like Mike Leach or whoever else you might think of suddenly be interested in Tennessee now that Phil Fulmer's the AD? Well, that's definitely a, a concern because now you have a former coach who was obviously still pretty chafed about when he got forced out of there. So do you feel confident that, you know, he's not going to be hovering over you if you take over? Uh, you know, a lot of people think, hey, maybe I'll hire T. Martin. T. Martin helped Fulmer win his national title. He's had some he's had success as USC's offensive coordinator. He coached in the SEC when he was an assistant at Kentucky. Very beloved by many people at Tennessee. You know, we'll see if they make that move. I mean, you know, I've heard Chad Morris's name come up a time or two. I my hunch was that they would they would consider Brent Venables. You know, he's another guy with Clem, who's at Clemson, but you know, Fulmer has some guys who've been close to him. And there's the connection to, to Venables. And, you know, the name Les Miles has come up. I, what, I honestly you know, think we, he may be the best choice at this point. And I never would have said that two weeks ago. But he'll come. He'll do it. And the guy and has it'll be entertaining. won at a high level. It'll be entertaining. Yeah. Otherwise, why would you take that job knowing that you're the 10th? We, we went through the whole list the other day of guys who have turned them down. They are at this point at their 10th choice. If Les Miles gets the job. Do you think he has them in the top 15 within the next three years? Mm. I'm going to say no, but I don't think he'll be that far off. Like there's certain guys you could tell me right now that that would just be, I would say that's a, that's a disaster. But I don't think he would be a disaster. We'll get to, we'll get to Sunday's news in a second. Yeah, that, yeah I don't think Fulmer – I mean, I don't think uh, Les would be a disaster. But he has – I mean, anybody that goes in there right now is going to have their work cut out. And, you know, given the fact that his LSU run ended in large part because he fell behind – I mean, I guess if Les Miles is willing to hire a more uh, modern offensive coordinator and let that person run that offense, then I would have a little bit more faith. But if he's going to just do exactly what he was doing at the end of his LSU tenure – you know, they could be good, but would they be top 15 good? That's a, that's that's another story. But so there's that. Then, not that long after that, I want to say that that was, for my time, that was, you know, my story went up at 8, 8.30, and then they pulled the plug on Curry and Fulmer was in power. Right around the time Fulmer was, was being anointed, Florida State had some news. Jimbo Fisher was leaving town. 
with the Christmas tree and, you know, <laughs> as a casualty. And he was going to Texas A&M for a shit ton of money. I mean, um, the Christmas tree picture is just – the fact that, that, that somebody thought to take a picture of that and then a half hour later he was, yep, it's true, he's gone. It, it was out, outstanding. Uh, very very uh, emblematic of how crazy that day was. Yeah, I mean, look, and that's you know we've talked about Jimbo a bunch. I mean, I think he's a you know one of the five or six best coaches in college football. You know, Let Texas me stop you right there. Ton. Yes, you think he's one of the five or six best coaches in college football? Yeah, I think so. Unless I'm like I'm going to rattle them out in my head. Well, I actually tackled this subject uh, earlier tonight for my four pass comp. So I'm going to list you some coaches and we're gonna figure okay. out where he is on your list. You ready? Okay, this should be good. Go yeah. ahead. Okay, because this came up uh, on the podcast, I don't know, last year. Where you were really yeah, with Ralph Russo. Yeah, where I had ago. him ranked. All right, Nick Saban. Yeah. Urban, Urban Meyer. Yes. Dabo Swinney. Sure. Chris Peterson. Wow. Yeah, that was the one I didn't think you'd get. Yeah, we're four for four. Gary Patterson? Uh, that's close, yeah. I would have Dabo 5. I'm sorry, I would have Jimbo 5. Jimbo 5. Okay, what about Harbaugh? He is sli- sliding for me, to be honest. Yeah. He's the biggest slider. He's kind of slid in the way D'Antonio slid the year before. Where is D'Antonio Still in the top 10. Is D'Antonio to above me, or below Jimbo? D'Antonio is slightly below. Gary uh, Patterson is slightly below. Jim Harbaugh is slightly below. What Kyle Whittingham is slightly David Shaw. He's below those guys, too. I have him at 10 or 11. So Jimbo is at worst your – you're right. He's at worst your – unless I'm forgetting somebody. He's, he's five for me. Five. I mean, he, he followed a, a bona fide legend. He did great work. It doesn't um, concern you that they've been on a downward trajectory the last few years? I mean, the downward trajectory is really this year. You know, like, I mean – because they broke in a true freshman a freshman quarterback last year, and it wasn't like a disaster season or anything like that. I mean, they won ten games and they finished in the top ten. So I don't uh, sweat that. I mean, this year's been a dud, but I'll give him a pass for this year. So to me, he's top five. Yes, so he's top five. What I'm getting at is, I, I think he's a really good coach. He's a to me, he's a top ten coach. I wouldn't quite go top five, but that all that being said, you know. 10 years, $75 million, you would think if you were doing that, that you were getting Nick Saban or Urban Meyer, not necessarily Jimbo Fisher. I mean, this is A&M going all in. This is our guy. This is the guy to lead us to the promised land. We're so sure of it that we're going to make sure there's absolutely no way he could turn us down, and we're going to make this outrageous offer that obviously worked. But it's also going to have a you know a ripple effect where now everybody else they're going to, whenever somebody does this, every other school with a good coach now has to go and renegotiate their coach's contract because now they're not making as much as Jimbo Fisher is. I, I want to ask you this now off of Jimbo: to be a successful head coach, Jimbo needs to win a national title there within four years. Yeah, with this I money, agree. I think. I so think about the expectations that are being placed on this guy. He's going to a school that hasn't won a national title. Since the 1939, I believe. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, it's, it's pushing 80 years. So they haven't won a national title in 80 years. They haven't won. I mean, when the the first year, uh, someone's first year with Manziel, it was a really big deal. It was the first time they'd finished in the top five in over a half century. 
and all that into play, and then the expectation for this guy's national championship or bust. Yeah, what, and they can't money, really. Yeah. What can they do if he doesn't get there? They, they still almost seventy five million dollars. Yeah, yeah, it's insane money. So um, let's play that out. Let's say Jimbo, they, they get really good. Really, by the second year, they're they're eleven and two. You know, everything's looking great, but then kind of levels off there. They're back to like nine and three, kind of like the Harbaugh thing this year. This is back to nine and three the next year. Wouldn't that be kind of frustrating after you went to these, these lengths to get him? It would be. I mean, I suspect there are some Texas A&M fans who think by year four that Nick Saban might not still be coaching. Maybe it's the SEC West is more up for grabs. I don't know. I mean, I, I think if you're making that kind of money with this kind of thing, you got to like average, at, you know, a bad year is 10 and 3. Mm-hmm. So basically, so, he has to completely change the bar that's been set at Texas yes. A&M. If Texas A&M yes, has historically been a eight-win kind of team, they have to become a ten-win team overnight. But when you won, like Kevin Sumlin was when he won eight, they were going to fire him for eight. So that bar was changing. Now it's just gotten the expectations have just ramped up one more notch. Right. Well, um, one other thing that kind of flew under the radar on Friday, I don't think flew under the radar, but it was like didn't get as much attention as it normally would, was the old miss penalties mm-hmm. came down. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it, by, the, by the middle of the day, it was already the third biggest story. Yeah. Were you surprised Hugh Freeze did not get hit hard, did not get hit all that hard? It did seem like a bit of a inconsistency from some other recent cases where the head coach, whether he – whether they thought he knew or did not, that he they just get penalized anyway. If he were to get another job, he would only have to sit out a couple games. Yeah, conference games. Yeah. I mean, it was surprisingly manageable. How long do you, you think know, it'll the, take Matt Luke to work his way out from this? Because they're now they're another postseason ban, and fr- frankly, the most significant part of that is that now guys are going to transfer, including yeah, and Shea Patterson Patrick. got Shea Patterson has been. Has gotten his release from some schools. I had seen it. It had been reported as a UCLA, USC, and Michigan among them. Man, when you start losing him. Now, the JC kid that they have, Jordan Tamu, played pretty well when he took over. And their receivers are really good. But, you know, if you're upperclassmen, those kids can leave. That's a tough spot to be, you know. So, I, I mean, I think Ole Miss also didn't have, you know, it's dealing from the from the bottom of the deck to begin with in that side of the uh, – in that side of the conference anyway. So it's going to be a tough ride for Matt Luke. I know he really want, wanted that job. He's got it. And, you know, he's going to need some good luck to, to kind of dig out from that, from the, from the sanctions as harsh as they are, especially when these kids start leaving and it, it depletes your depth and roster so much. So we're seeing the, re- the remaking of the SEC West. And it really is pretty stunning to see so much change at, in one division with Texas A&M getting Jimbo. Ole Miss has decided to stay with Matt Luke. Mississippi State gets Joe Morgan. Yes. From Jimbo to Jomo. It's quite a, quite a, quite a deal. And the um, Auburn, as of earlier today, appears that Gus Malzahn will be staying and staying for a lot of money. So that means Arkansas has to look elsewhere. That has been a very um, quiet coaching search. Maybe because there wasn't a plan B yet after Gus. <laughs> And there's an AD search that's going on, too. As we're taping this, the person why was under the impression was getting the job. I talked to somebody tonight. It was like, no, there's two other people in there still. I'm like, really? Like, yeah. So 
I mean, it's hard for them to move. I mean, just as a bigger, you know, like a big picture thing on this, uh, one of the people I talked to that night said, this is a very unusual coaching carousel. And some of that is because the early signing period has kind of thrown everybody out of whack. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's contributed to it. Somebody was asking this, another big development of the weekend we haven't gotten to with Scott Frost and big win for UCF. Obviously people are reporting during the game that he's leaving. Not yeah, I heard they were doing surprise. that. <laughs> oh, yes, you were one of them. People, I, people, friends of mine asked, like, why did they? Why couldn't they just wait till Monday? Why did they have to announce it as soon as the game ended? And I'm like, because of early signing day, these schools feel like they can't waste even a day. They got to get, they got to be able to call recruits and tell them we have our coach. And right. apparently, this has been in the works for weeks, and he already knows who most of his staff is going to be. So, yeah, and that right. was what I had reported. Actually, actually, during my own game, but and that some of that reaction was going around, and then, you know, look, uh, credit to or to Lars Anderson who had put out the number. I want to say like two weeks ago mm-hmm. or so, and then you know it got around that the board had had ratified it. It was just a matter of him really finalizing it. But um, this is a you know, look, he did. You couldn't have asked for anybody to do more in two years than what he did at UCF. Took over a dreadful 0-12 team and turn them into a 12-0 team. I mean, how much better can you get? Do you think five years from now, do you think Scott Frost has won a Big Ten title? I do. I think he's that good a coach, and I think that that is a realistic expectation for Nebraska. Three national titles in four years, not a, not a realistic <laughs> expectation anymore. But obviously that division is winnable. Uh, right now it's Wisconsin and everybody else. So you can win that division. If you get into the game, you know, Wisconsin certainly had every chance to beat Ohio State the other night. Nebraska gets into that game, has a good quarterback like he has now at UCF. Certainly he can pull that off. Within five years, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Credit, credit to Bill Moose, the AD. I, I underestimated him. You know, I for weeks thought, well, if Florida gets to him first, he's going to go to Florida. But it turned out that he met with him. It came out today that he met with him way back on November 17th in Philadelphia before they played Temple. And then, like you said, Lars had that salary number right around that time, if you want to connect the dots there. You know, they were already way into this process by then. All right, now we get to the most fascinating coaching hire of the whole coaching carousel. You can't tell me otherwise. I can't tell you otherwise either. Yeah, Herm Edwards, this is actually happening. Yet he's seriously, Arizona State hired Herm Edwards. Uh, the last time Herm Edwards coached in college football was 28 years ago. That's insane. Herm um, Edwards last, I looked it up, he coached in one bowl game, and it was the 1987 California Raisin Bowl. Do you know who won the Heisman the year, <laughs> the year that he last coached uh, uh, in college football? Don't look it up. I'm not going to look it up. You would think I would know that right off the top of my head. The year before, 88 would have been Barry Sanders. 89. Ooh, this may help you because that's a, that's a clue in, in itself. <sighs> Shoot. If you follow the LNFL, you may be able to get this. Well, Ty, you want to give you a hint? Ty Detmer was the next year. <sighs> He's two years old. Andre there. Ware. Good job, Stu. All right. Two other, two other fun facts. This is so long ago that Miami and Florida State were both independents back then. Mm-hmm. If you're predicting this, do you think which is more likely to happen? Herm Edwards is more likely to be gone after three years 
or Herm Edwards is going to have Arizona State in the top 10? I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone in two years. But if he's gone, so will be Ray Anderson. Ray Anderson, so, the, the so this is this is this is something. That's the only way I can put it. So when the when the reports first started coming out last week that this was where he was leaning, it was strange enough that that this is the guy. And by the way, if you want to know why it's Herm Edwards, Ray Anderson used to be an NFL agent, and Herm Edwards is one of his clients. But the release comes out tonight, Sunday night. And um, it is, quite frankly, the strangest coaching press release I've ever read. Can I read you a quick snippet? You can. Okay. So ASU and and Ray Anderson have unveiled plans for a restructured ASU football model. Named former NFL head coach Herm Edwards as 24th coach. Now, follow with me, everybody, here, because it's going to be dense. This is the second paragraph of the press release announcing their new coach. The department's new leadership model, and that's all caps, or Those are capitalized words, new leadership model. Will be similar to an NFL approach using a general manager structure. It's a collaborative approach to managing the ASU football program that includes sport and administrative divisions, which will operate as distinct but collective units focused on elevating all aspects of Sun Devil football. The structure will allow the department to form a multi-layered method to the talent, evaluation, and recruiting processes, increase its emphasis on both student-athlete and coach development and retention, and provide a boost in resource allocation and generation. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> I was gonna. I was hoping you were gonna explain that. I mean, it's kind of cool in one sense, in that I actually wrote something a couple years ago just for fun, saying, you know what, colleges should have GMs. Mm-hmm. These are such big, massive organizations now, and recruiting is a year-round thing. That being a good play caller does not necessarily make you a great head coach. It's more of a managerial job. So. I kind of uh, appreciate that part of it, but so, so you're on board with this hire. You're saying it's one of the more well, ingenious hires I'm of the season. Not necessarily. I mean, I'm curious, fascinated actually to watch this press conference Monday and have them explain this. I think, in theory, that's not the worst model if you're going to have basically a CEO who then has two coordinators who are, you know, have the authority to basically be the head coach of their side of the ball. I just don't know why Herm Edwards, of all people, is the guy to do it. Wasn't a good NFL coach. Has basically never been a college coach. But ultimately, I mean, I think the strangest part of it is, you know, I said this on Twitter. It reminded me of when Dave Brandon was the Michigan AD, and certainly when Steve Patterson was the Texas AD. People don't want to hear this MBA stuff. They don't want to hear business speak. They want to hear about football. How's this guy going to win football games? No, no ASU fan is reading that paragraph I just read and going, all right, we figured it out. We're going to win the Pac-12. Yeah, it's just, it's just the whole thing is just nutty, I think. I don't know. We usually, you know, I usually don't grade hires, but and, and when people usually grade hires, it usually turns out there's a bunch of A's, a bunch of B's, and maybe one D. Yeah. You know, like or whatever. It is for me usually. Yeah. But I will so. say I've given one F. In the years I've been doing it, it was probably about, I don't know, six or seven years. Uh-huh. I've given one F. It was to Kansas for hiring Charlie Weiss. I feel like this one might get the second. Yeah, it's just just such a head-scratcher how they've you know, done this. Just because it's so long ago. I don't know, man. It's nuts. I mean, it you're really in the is. same division as UCLA. UCLA went out and got itself Chip Kelly. That's a winning formula. Not this managerial... It almost sounded like they hired a management management consultant who wrote this. 
it doesn't read at all like it has anything to do with winning football games. So good luck to ASU with that. Uh, not very optimistic. Who, who are you less optimistic will pull this off? Ray, uh, Herm Edwards. Herm, Herm Edwards, Edwards or whoever Tennessee ends up hiring. Your answer is Herm Edwards. Yeah, my answer is going to be Herm Edwards. I mean, short of, of uh, I don't even know a, you know a coach that I would think would have a more uphill. Now, he's taken over a situation that's not terrible in terms of they won seven games. They've got a lot of young talent. They've got a bunch of talent. A lot there. of the fan base wanted to keep Todd Graham. Yeah, I mean, the product on the field, it's not like they've been a disaster. You know, he's cleaned up a bunch of stuff. They've had some success. They bounced back a little bit this year. They obviously beat Washington, which is a heck of a win. So Herm Edwards walks into a pretty good situation relative to following a coach who just got fired. I just, you know, I don't know. I Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. By the way, I remember and, another part of the plan, according to Ray Anderson at that press conference last week, is that he wants um, Herm to keep their current coordinators, Billy Napier mm-hmm. and Phil Bennett. If you're those guys, do you want that job? Yeah, because I think you probably do because, quite honestly, if you're Phil Bennett, I'm not, you know, you may be tough to get hired, you know, even just on the connection of having worked at Baylor. It's not going to, it's not a slam dunk to get some of these jobs knowing that this, the, whoever hires you would have to address it in some form or fashion at the press conference coming out, especially in this, in this, what, you know, what's been gone, you know, going on in our country for the last year or two, right? Mm-hmm. You know, those issues are, are front and center. If you're Billy Napier, he had uh, been a good assistant at Alabama and has had a pretty nice first year at ASU. I imagine he would have some opportunities, but, you know, this is a power five job with some pretty good players. So I think, you know, if you try, if you feel comfortable with Herm Edwards, you have a chance to, you know, if you do well for people to go, hey, you know, Herm Edwards is a defensive guy. He clearly wasn't connected on, on this, on the, on the, that side of the ball. That's Billy Napier was responsible for that. He'd be in pretty good position, I think, to get a head coaching job next year if it goes well. I if, mean, I think those guys will basically be their own head coaches. I, you know, and this may be outdated by the time people listen to this. They have already done the press conference, but you know, from what it sounds like, Herm's not going to have much to do with the actual on-field coaching. Now he is. I'm just reading this like they have all these testimonials about him from NFL people. And all of them, he's going to be such a great recruiter. He's going to be such a great recruiter. So clearly that's a big part of the job. But I think he probably is just going to leave the X's and O's to people who have actually coached college football games. So uh, best of luck to ASU and to Herm Edwards on all of that. Tell us a little bit about, gosh, we don't have any, hey, what game are you going to be at this weekend to talk about? But um, tell us what you're doing there in New York. Uh, I'm here for the College Football Hall of Fame event. Uh, I am going to be part of our Fox group that is going to be honoring uh, our buddy Matt Leinert, who's going in from his great USC awesome. career. There's a, there's a dinner on Monday, and then the big event is on Tuesday. So that's going to be really cool to be there for that. And obviously, there's a lot of schmoozing, a lot of networking goes on, and and so it should be a should be a good good couple of days. And then a lot of eating, from what uh, I hear. Yeah, well, that's because I'm hanging out with Andy Staples tonight. That was a big mistake. But, yeah, a lot of eating. New York City, you get a chance to have Italian food, which if you live where I live, it's not as easy to get good Italian food there. Mm-hmm. So, um, Tell me about it. So it was good. Do you have shout-outs, too? Because I got a good shout-out. 
Uh, I do, but why don't you go first? My shout-out is going to be to Petros Papadakis. And the reason for this is because uh, he joined our crew last this past weekend for the Big 12 title game. And I was like, what is he going to do? And they're like, well, they have one of those Dr. Pepper challenges at halftime, and he's going to really take over. And at first I was like, you know, should they have asked, you know, should I have felt like slighted by this? Because sometimes the sideline person handles it. And so at halftime, I'm sitting there and I, you know, it's a chance to either get something to drink or, you know, scarf down a pretzel or something. And I'm watching Petros and he is like, he was on fire. This. And this is, this was from his pros versus Joe's that show he does with the other show he does with Fred Rogan. He is totally in his element. And after within like two minutes, I was like, there's nobody in our company who would, who could, who could do what he's doing right now. So hats off to Petros. He, uh, he was the star of the halftime and it's hard. I mean, to do it, to do that, you know, a lot, a lot of people who are typically doing sports could deliver what he delivered. He also was the PA guy for USC basketball for a long, long time. And, uh, I think that you saw the little bit of that. I I saw it too. It was, he was, I tweeted, he's the best host or MC they've ever had for one of those halftime scholarship contests. They should find a way to get him Dr. Pepper. If I were Dr. Pepper, I would sign him tomorrow and figure out a way to fly him around to all the different conference title games to do those because they do them, I believe, at every game. They do, yeah. It's impossible to do that because I was like, I wonder who pre- who presents these checks because it's got to be, you know, different all different people because no one can get to all those all those sites. Uh, let's think about that for a second. He could do the Pac-12 one on Friday night, then and he could do Dallas probably the big Saturday time. morning. Mm. Get him on a quick flight to Atlanta for halftime of the SEC game. You really can't do the pack. Tw- I don't think you can because they had Petros rehearsing at 6 a.m. You know, Dallas. Uh, he time. won't need to rehearse. He'll be an old pro by the time he, he does this. He'll <laughs> go, I've, I've got to figure it out. He'll be Santa Clara Friday night. He'll definitely be able to do Dallas, uh, whatever that was, 1130 local kick. Mm-hmm. The, now, this will be the tight one. Is they got to get him, they got to get him like a Joe Tessator style escort to the airport. And then get him to Atlanta in time for halftime of the SEC game. But you can't do the ACC and the Big yeah, Ten together. Yeah, then they have to pick. That's yeah. that's the only problem. Somebody's going to get shortchanged there. But I would love to see next year Petros do four of those diploma contests. Diploma. Uh, the diploma contests. Sorry, it's very very late here, uh, and even later where you are. Tuition contests. My shout out is to the New Mexico State Aggies. They got to 6-6 six and six the other the day. The streak is over, huh? The streak is over. They are going to a bowl for the first time since 1960 and doing it in their last year before getting kicked out of the Sun Belt, no less. So they are going to the Arizona Bowl to play Utah State in a rematch of the last time they were in a bowl in 1960, I believe. Isn't that who they played? Yes, and I think her, it was the last time her was, was in college. Ouch, ouch, Gosh, at some point we're going to have to cover him. I may do one of his games next year. You may you do know, one of his knows. games next year, and I'm sure somebody will. Uh, I do. You know what? I remember back in my ESPN days, we would have our college football seminar, and Herm gave a presentation, and he is a pretty dynamic speaker. I, you know, can't take that away from him. All right, well, enjoy the rest of the week in New York, and um, – I'm going to try to uh, come up for air here after what's been a pretty hectic week, but uh, 
continue to follow all our coverage on the All-American. And let's roll the credits. If you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. If you enjoy college football podcasts, also subscribe to the All-American Podcast with Nicole Auerbach, Max Olson, and Chantel Jennings. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our intro song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. Download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow Bruce on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB. Follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel. And subscribe to The All-American if you haven't done so already at theathletic.com slash allamerican. So come on, get over here. Ah, yeah.